BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. back to another episode of the Six Two Cents Podcast. I'm going to be co-hosting today with myself, Lucas Johnson, and then our fellow co-site expert, Christopher Klein. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm doing well. How about you guys? Doing good. And we have a special guest today, fan-sided, busting brackets. Uh, we have a writer from there, and his name is Jonathan Guybe, and we are glad to have Jonathan on board. Welcome. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Well, let's just Go ahead and get in with our first questions. Okay, so I got one for you here, Jonathan. I know it's past the draft already, but can you give us a brief scouting report on Matisse Thibel and Mayor Shayok, even though that we've already had them on the roster for a couple weeks now? Give us yeah. a brief pre-draft scouting report. Yeah, well, I didn't follow Mario Shayok too much um, during his college days, but Matisse Thibault was an incredible defender all throughout the season. He performed well, uh, mostly in his in-conference games. Uh, I didn't think he played great in the NCAA tournament against North Carolina, but I think throughout the season, he kind of figured out his role on this team. And I think he's a perfect fit when it comes to a three and D kind of player. And we've started to see that in the summer league. So I think he's a huge addition, and I'm really looking forward to him. So would you describe – so you would say that he's a, a, a very good 3 and D player. Do you think he could become potentially one of the best uh, – one of the better 3 and D players in the NBA given time? Yeah, so I would actually say in college he may not even have been known for the 3 and D. He was just a defensive specialist. There were reports saying he's the best defensive player in the draft, which I – I could definitely see that a lot of signs point that way, but I don't think he was very well known for his three point shooting. However, so far in the summer league, I think he's around 40% and he's impressing. He's not afraid to take the shot when, when he gets an open look and, and that's kind of what you need. Very good. Very good. I, I, I like him. And I, I think 
Mario Shayok is very underrated. I, I I did some research on him after the Sixers got drafted because, like yourself, I hadn't really followed his college career. But he played in a very good system in in defensive system in Virginia, and then you know he actually had one of the best, I think, a defensive box plus scores in the country at one point. And then when we he got to Iowa State, he really showed off his offensive skill set. Do you think that in the long term, even though he signed a two-way contract right now, do you think in the long term he has a shot of being a good contributor for the Sixers down the road? Yeah, so I do. I'm I'm actually glad he signed the two-way contract. I don't think he is necessarily NBA ready right now, but he's someone that you definitely want to have rights to and. I think he'll be able to develop well with the blue coats, get experience, and I don't see why not or why he wouldn't be able to be a role player um, in the future, which is good for where we drafted him. You normally don't see that many players that could maybe have an impact maybe after 40, 50 in the draft for sure, and uh, I think that he could become a 15, 20-minute contributor in the next couple seasons. So, Jonathan, all things considered, just with what the Sixers not only gave up for Thibel, but where he was drafted relative to other players, and with Shayok late in the 50s, do you think the Sixers got good value out of their two picks in the 2019 draft? I think they did okay in the draft. I think the draft, the way that Elton drafted kind of pointed that he was going to make some moves in the free agent market. I wasn't super excited with it. I mean... The way I had previously written in one of my articles actually about Dylan Windler being the perfect fit, I kind of felt that uh, J.J. was going to leave. I kind of saw that kind of writing on the wall. And Dylan Windler ended up going 26th. The Sixers originally had the 24th draft pick. For those who don't know who he is, he was a uh, wing player out of Belmont, which I don't think they'd ever had anyone drafted before him, but he was an outstanding three-point shooter. Played well in big games, long. Uh, I thought he was just kind of the perfect role fit player who you could plug right in. So I was kind of disappointed in that. Um, And obviously the Carson Edwards going to the Celtics when we traded them our 33rd pick in order to move up to get Thibel. I thought if we just kept that pick, he sits around there. He's a prolific scorer, which we saw at Purdue, and he's – playing incredible with the Celtics in the summer league as well. So, I mean, I think there were some misses on the draft, but the way that Elton went about it, I'm okay with now after looking back on the free agent period and what moves he made. Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat. Um, I personally thought Thibault was a pretty good value in a vacuum at 20. I had him 15th on my board, but just selling as many second round picks as Elton did, given the Sixers need for some cheap depth, wasn't didn't really sit great with me at the time. Um, and like you said, giving up Carson was rough and they uh, missed on a few other prospects that I thought fit really well. But in general, I do think Thibault was a pretty good value at 20. And I wasn't huge on Shayok. I hadn't, like you guys, I hadn't done a ton of research on him before the draft. I didn't have him in my top 60 or anything. But I, I think with what he showed in summer league, just as you know, a six-six wing shooter who can defend reasonably well has a seven-foot wingspan. I think that's the kind of archetype you want if you're Philly. And um, you know, with fifty around that, those late fifties, mid to late fifties, I think that's probably going to end up being a pretty good value. 
Yeah, I, and one of the things that was... Uh, I, I, Sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, uh, well, I was just going to say, I think I think the fact that Elton draft the only players that Elton drafted were two, uh, two four-year seniors, you know, upperclassmen, it kind of showed the fact that the, the Sixers aren't trying to develop talent. I mean, it would have been nice if they got a developmental piece, but let's be real, they're trying to win a championship this year especially with the moves by, made by other Eastern Conference teams, a.k.a. the Brooklyn Nets. This is the year to try to win a championship. So getting, I'm not going to say NBA-ready prospects in Matisse Seibel and, and Mariel Shayok, but I think getting upperclassmen that will be ready to contribute either early on in the season or halfway through the point of the season, I think getting mature players, uh, you know, not just physically mature, but, you know, emotionally and mentally mature players, Aiming for those, I think that was the real purpose of why um, Elton didn't focus on more pro, uh, players that needed that had higher potential but needed more work. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. I think that's spot on. They, they're definitely going for it this year, and that those were the kind of moves you needed to make in the draft if that's what you want. You can't really have a project to work on during the season. So, so I guess kind of piggy. Uh, so I guess piggy back off in Chris's question about you know you know whether the Sixers got good value at their picks. Do you think the Sixers gave up too much uh, to move up to get Thibel? You know the twenty fourth and the thirty third pick. Yeah, so that was what the point I was about to bring up. I was gonna say I I wasn't sure why. I mean I'm sure the Celtics were didn't want. I wanted the 33rd pick, but I didn't know why you wouldn't have given the 34th pick. We had back-to-back picks, and if you knew that they were interested in a guard similar to Carson Edwards, you could have given up 34 and kept 33 and drafted Edwards there. I mean, we ended up getting rid of 34 anyway with Bruno Fernando uh, and trading that pick, but that was one thing that I was just kind of confused about and thought it would have made a little more sense to keep that one. Um, But for Thibault, I, I... I agree. I think he does get good value and a defensive specialist. It looks like the team we were assembling this year is going to easily be top five in the NBA in uh, defensive efficiency and has a chance to be the number one team. So I think Thibault fits that mold. And I think that we may have overpaid, but it looks like it will be worth it, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. I do think the Sixers are kind of loading up on specific types of players. I think four out of the five starters at this point are have the potential to be all defense caliber defenders. And then you have Thibel and Zaire Smith as kind of their two top prospects who are both highly regarded for their defense. So it, it, it is pretty evident that Elton Brand is kind of loading up on top end defensive prospects, which I get. And I, I think it's a really interesting way to go about team building just considering where the NBA is at and how much emphasis has been put on offense I think Philly kind of going in a different direction is definitely interesting Um, but I think another important point to bring up with regard to Thibault and getting good value out of him is that from the reports that came out around the trade around the draft it seemed like Boston kind of took advantage of Philadelphia having pretty clear interest in Thibault for a long time and kind of forced Elton's hand into trading up. I think there's a good chance Thibel would have been available at 24 if Elton hadn't been so, or the front office in general, hadn't been so forthright, I guess, in their 
you know, interest in him. I think that's something the Celtics took advantage of and something the front office probably needs to clean up in the future. Yeah, I tend to agree with you on that, but this that's just a rookie. Well, I mean, yeah, he was still he's still in his rookie GM year, really. So, I mean, he's going to have slip-ups here and there, definitely, I think. Uh, but I think overall, I mean, they they were able to keep you know he he failed there but side sidetracking here for a second he did the front office did a wonderful job uh, I think for the most part masking the L, uh, the Al Horford interest I mean yeah they were one of the teams reported but they you know nobody knew for certain if if Horford you know it was still a mystery up to this point which team offered you know were prepared to offer him that that humongous deal I think. I think the draft probably actually helped Elton prepare, keep, uh, keep a closer, closer, keep it tighter to the chest when it comes to uh, free agency. Yeah, I guess so. Just building off those two points, um, this is something we've already touched on a bit, and it sounds like we have a pretty um, consensus answer here. But just like definitively, do you think the Sixers are going to regret giving up on? I'm giving up Carson Edwards. I guess maybe it's not going to be like the biggest regret. I don't think this, I'm, I mean, maybe he will, he will be a, a solid player in the NBA, but I don't think he's going to be a star where like a Steph Curry type. I feel like that would be something where you look back and you're like, yeah, we really regret not getting him. But I mean, I think he'll be a decent NBA player. He's a little under undersized, which doesn't help him. And like we have, said before he isn't necessarily the mold specifically that Elton seems to be looking for this offseason so it might not be a full regret but uh I guess we'll just have to wait and see how, uh what his role is with the Celtics yeah yeah I tend to agree I think um just for context on, on where I had the two on my board I think I had Thibault 15 and I had Edwards 24. So I think there's a big enough gap there where if you're dead set on one player and you've interviewed him, you've talked to him, which the Sixers had obviously communicated pretty strongly with Thibault. Um, if they were really locked in on him and committed to him and really wanted him on the team, I think it's fair to give up a second round pick to move up and get, you know, your guy. Um, we'll see how it plays out in the long run and how the two look long term. But I think just on principle, without ignoring the um, potential slip up, in terms of leaking out the interest and stuff, I think it's, I don't think it's the biggest mistake, like you mentioned. I think it's fair overall. So moving on to Summer League, um, Jonathan, what did you think about just what you saw out of um, both Bible and Shayok with the Sixers? And do you think anything they showed this summer um, is either more promising or less promising than perhaps what we saw um, in their college careers? I think so far, other than what I was saying at the beginning with Thibault's three-point shooting, uh, I think what we've been seeing is pretty similar to what they've been doing in college. Uh, Shayak to me, looks like he probably should have been drafted above where we drafted him. He's He can get to the hole, got a good mid-range jumper, and I think he's going to be a value-add in a few years. Uh, and Thibault, I mean, being uh, an elite perimeter defender, I'm not saying he is now, but uh, any of the elite perimeter defenders like Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, those kind of types, that's just a very tough role to fit into to guard a fast wing who can slash, who can shoot. And he's been 
reading plays great, getting good steals, getting out on fast breaks, and I think that he's impressing me a lot with the summer league play. Okay, kind of following up the summer league roster, you know, there was kind of a fan favorite, and, you know, he was a seven-foot-four center from Florida State. Is Christ Kumaji. Do you think Christ Kumaji can be a prospect that can develop well and, and possibly be an NBA caliber, you know, backup center if he develops well with the Blue Coats this upcoming season, if he plays with them, of course? Yeah, I'm not – I like how you said the uh, fan favorite. I was never – I'm not really huge on Christ Kamaji. I mean, the 7-4 uh, and, like, big build. He could. He definitely has an NBA body, NBA build. But I don't know that his skill set necessarily fits. I feel like the big, large center uh, days of the NBA are obviously behind us. And even at Florida State, he was overshadowed by Kevin Gelly. And I just – I'm not – the biggest on him as a prospect in the future, but I would like to see how he does for this year with the blue coats and, and just kind of watch how that plays out. Yeah. Assuming he gets signed by the blue coats. We don't know anything for certain yet, but I'm sorry for interrupting. Go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think I'm in a similar boat. I don't think he was overwhelmingly great this summer um, in Vegas. You know, he's not the strongest, you saw him get pushed off his spots and pushed around a bit in the post by some of the stronger guys. And uh, he's not really obviously going to be much of a perimeter defender, isn't going to survive switch as well. So I do think there are some pretty big weaknesses there that might prevent him from being a solid NBA guy. But obviously he's someone the Sixers should want to keep around the G League squad just because he is 7'4", and that's such a unique trait to have to be that tall. Um you know, it's probably worth keeping him around just for developmental purposes to see what they have. Um, so just moving on to next year in the 2020 draft, are there maybe a prospect, is there maybe a prospect or two that you have your eyes on that maybe Philly should be watching um, just that might fit their mold that we've talked about throughout this podcast? Um, are there any names that we and the Sixers should be uh, looking out for? I guess uh, the way that I look at it is kind of when this season started, I would have never thought of Matisse Thibault or Mario Shayak as, as players that we need to keep an eye on. So I think it's more talent uh, fit that I'm looking at going into the future. So I just think that they need to be able to keep an eye on having uh, an athletic big kind of to back up and bead. I mean, God forbid his injury history, but something like that. And they need to be able to find a player who can kind of run out of the pick and roll game that Embiid and JJ Redick had. It was that that was one of the best uh, two man games in the league this past season. And I think that we didn't really do a great job of filling that role. So I'm looking for more of an athletic wing who can kind of work with Embiid. Uh, I don't really have a name for you right now. As I was saying, I would think that it's it's more you got to just keep an eye for the type of player you want rather than maybe be pigeonholed into looking at someone and being like, oh, this is the guy uh, that we need. So, yeah, I'm just looking for someone who can work well with Embiid and uh, keep him in the block so it limits his three-point shots. Yeah, Jonathan, I kind of agree with you on that. I, I, I do have to say I think that – 
if you're looking for need beyond just what you have already mentioned, I think finding a, a backup point guard of the future, I think that's a major hole because you look at what the Sixers have right now. Raul Nettle has had injury history, and he's kind of a tweener between a second and third string uh, point guard at this point. Not too confident in his ability to man the position for uh, you know 82 games a season. And then Shake Milton showed us this summer league that he is nowhere close to being ready to run a team team second unit. He no he's a shooting guard. He's not a point guard. He he. I don't think he's going to be able to. I think if he develops into one, it's going to take a very long time. I think uh, so. Right now, I see him as a shooting guard. So the Sixers really need. Uh, backup point guard of the future, and I think that's something position-wise, you know, something that Carson Edwards could have done if the Sixers had the opportunity to draft him. But I think that's a position that the Sixers should be looking at for the draft next. Yeah, and uh, even potentially the buyout market, I guess. I mean, you don't really know who's going to be there, but teams that usually make a run in the playoffs have some sort of action at the at the buyout market, and and yeah, they they need to figure something out because. Shake was um, disappointing, to say the least, this summer. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I, I think I might have more confidence in Neto as a player than, than you, Lucas, but having him as your only reliable backup point guard is definitely a concern, especially when Ben himself isn't the most natural point guard in a sense. Um, and yeah, just long term, I do think they need more shooting on the perimeter. That's something they haven't really addressed a ton um, in free agency. Um, Ennis and Zaire and Matisse, to an extent, can all shoot, but they aren't really knockdown shooters. And that's a skill set, obviously, that Brett Brown in Philadelphia covets. So that's definitely something I think they need to be on the lookout for moving forward. Yeah, I think for a backup point guard role, I mean, again, I definitely think the fit and the skill set is what you want to look for overall. But Trey Jones from Duke, I mean, he's going to go probably higher than we will have a pick next year. But he was a very pure point guard. He he didn't shoot much, uh, but he can shoot, obviously. And that's, that's the kind of guy you want. You want a guy who is pass first, but is able to shoot the ball hoping Ben will be able to develop the jump shot, but be, having someone that can play off Ben and off ball, he could be a possible option. Uh, I liked his game, went under the radar with the other stars there. Yeah, I definitely think Trace probably in that late lottery, the late teens range. Um, but obviously a lot can happen between now and next June there's always so much that changes when it comes to the draft over the years so we really don't have a clue at this point but he's someone I definitely like and if he's where the six available when the Sixers pick next year he's definitely a name I would be interested in so kind of uh shifting gears back to uh, our current rookies Shayok and Thibel what type of roles do you anticipate them having uh, next year, considering that uh, Shaq's on a two-way contract and Thibel is going to be in a loaded wing rotation with Ennis and Smith uh, coming off the bench? I'd be kind of surprised um, if Shaq gets almost any time this season I'd, I, or any meaningful time this season up on the Sixers, to be honest. But I think Thibel has the potential by the end of the season to be getting 15, 20 minutes off the bench and providing a spark when they need it. Uh, I don't think there's any reason why not. I think 
that's what you kind of hope coming out of your first round draft pick too, that, that they'll be able to contribute. So I guess kind of follow up that question. Do you think, because you can only have having a three wing rotation coming off the bench is going to be tricky for the Sixers. Who, who do you anticipate between Thibault Smith and Ennis getting the primary uh, two slots coming off the bench at wing? Personally, I would like it to see, like it to be uh, Thibel and Smith. Um, Ennis played and did what he needed to last year, but I didn't think he changed the game at all. And not that these young guys have any experience doing that, but Zaire is extremely athletic. We're seeing that in summer league, and he's someone like if you have an athletic wing, just being able to get to the hoop, that's huge. Keeping the defense honest and, and avoiding doubles on Joel. And I hope Thibault develops into the person that I I'm expecting. And if he can shoot better than Ennis, maybe then, then hopefully those two could be um, in the rotation in the future. But at the beginning of the season, Ennis will definitely be the primary probably among those three. Yeah. I, you mentioned shooting okay. and I think that's okay. probably what it's going to come down to is just how well Zaire and Matisse, shoot next season they obviously um did a pretty good job in the summer league but it's a different animal and we haven't really seen either one consistently hit jumpers obviously at the nba level yet so we'll see how that goes um matisse shot just 30 percent last year at washington and zaire wasn't the greatest shooter in college and although he has made some changes to his form i don't think we can confidently say that he's you know, knockdown shooter or anything yet. So, but I do think that's kind of the swing skill for both of them with regard to where their playing time is going to be. It's just how well they space the floor and shoot the ball next year. He's already bed right now, or at least at the same level. I think that Zaire is definitely a better defender, and Matisse is probably at the same level of defender as as Ennis is, and that's coming into his rookie season. I think his defense develops more, so I think, like you said, I think shooting is going to be the primary skill that will get them on the court because, and I think it depends on lineup too, because I I would play Zaire in a lineup featuring prime uh, Ben Simmons with. Um, and beat off the bench, but I wouldn't have Zaire and Embiid together. I would put Matisse or Ennis in with uh, with Embiid to help space the floor the more because I'm I, I feel a little bit more confident in uh, Thibault shooting than I do Zaire's, and I'm not saying that neither one of them won't be good. I think they will be, but I see Matisse being more of a uh, you know just. I recently wrote an article, and it was about how different lineups the Sixers could use, and one of them I kind of have it mimicking a little bit the nine Ma- Orlando Magic with Dwight Howard, where they play four shooters, spread them out, and then have and be working inside. And I see uh, Matisse filling that role a lot better next to Embiid than uh, Zaire would. But you know, that's that's just my personal take on it. Yeah, I think we. We know where our star power is. We know what they're going to bring and what their game's like. But it is that wing spot that you kind of want to be able to see what they can provide off the bench and and what kind of role they're going to play. I mean, we the J.J. Redick is just definitely such a hit to to the three-point shooting and, and that game I was discussing earlier, the two-man game with Embiid. And I think Brett needs to figure out exactly what 
each of these three players brings to the table and and whichever fit is best for the team going forward, which we may not know for a couple months and until we get a little into the season. But I think you got to just try all of them out early so that when you get into the thick of the season, you know what your rotation is going to be. Yeah, I think when it comes down to yeah, it. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. Yeah, I think when it comes down to it, Ennis and Zaire are probably going to be the two go-to guys for Brett Brown. I think Smith is a good bit more ready than Matisse at this current moment. You know, he's less turnover prone. And while he might not be the same shooter, I think he's at least developed to a point where he's more skilled in other areas and he's a much stronger on-ball defender, which is something the Sixers are going to really need, Um, you know, behind Embiid and Simmons and stuff. So I I think in the end it's going to be Zaire and Ennis who kind of fill that role. But long-term, I'm excited to see what Matisse can bring. All right. Well, we got. I got one more question for you. I know that you're a Sixers fan, and so I gotta ask, what is your one bold predict prediction for the Sixers this upcoming season? It could be anything. Just one bold prediction. Go ahead, give it to me. I mean, I think they have the talent to win the NBA Finals. I'm not saying they're going to, but I mean, I it's there. I I know that there's tons of star talent out west, and we know that, but. Of the large duos that people are talking about now that have teamed up in the NBA, other than Steph and Clay, Joe and Ben have the longest time playing together on the court. I think we have more depth than we've had in previous years, and and maybe the West will just beat up on each other. But um, even though I didn't agree with the way Ennis said it, that we were going to walk to the NBA Finals, I, I see a very clear path for us to get there, and and. Once we're there, I, I think anything can happen. So not saying it'll happen, but I'm more optimistic than I think I've ever been uh, in any year of being a Sixers fan. Come on, Jonathan. Own, own that bold prediction. Just go ahead and say it. Just, you, uh, you know you want to say it. Just go ahead and say it. But no, I, I, I tend to agree with you, though. I think that the Sixers do have a very clear path to the NBA Finals. The Nets are not going to be a threat this season. And... Kevin Durant next season, yes, but not this season. Uh, I think the Celtics aren't a threat anymore because they don't have anybody that can guard uh, Embiid or Horford. You know, Dennis Cantor is not going to stop Embiid. Let's be clear on that. I think uh, the only the Pacers are going to be interesting. It depends on where Victor Oladipo is, but I think as long as he, as, it depends if he takes time to get back to 100%. I think the Sixers will be fine against them. It's the Milwaukee Bucks, but still, they still lost two key rotational players in Malcolm Brogdon and uh, Nikola Miritich. And they didn't do anything significant to replace them. So I, I think in that regard, I, I think the Bucks have taken a step back. And where we lost Jimmy Butler, you know, we lost our closer, but we still got so much better defensively. We have so much better depth. We have insurance on Embiid with Horford and Kyle Quinn. I, I see it being us, for, and Toronto took a huge step back. They're probably going to be like a fifth or sixth seed this year. Uh, the Miami Heat, even though they got Butler, they don't have anything else at the current moment. Maybe they get so maybe it's uh, eight or seventh seed in the East, I think. You know, but they're not going to be a threat in the playoff series long term, I don't think. The Bucks are going to be our biggest threat, but uh, we have the two best players in Horford and Embiid that can guard Giannis Antetokounmpo. So I, I do agree with you that they reach the NBA Finals. 
if they win the NBA Finals, it is a completely. It depends on who they match up with. I don't like our chances matching up against the Clippers. I think they can play small and they can get either Horford or Embiid off the floor, and only one of them can play. And I think that's going to put uh, the Sixers at a severe disadvantage. I, I don't like the Clippers matchup, but if they meet the Lakers, who I think is the only other team in the West that can be that can reach the NBA Finals this season, I, I like that matchup because they can the Sixers can play big against Boogie Cousins and Anthony Davis, and Ben Simmons is like basically can guard LeBron James very well. I don't. I, I'm not worried about the point guard depth that the that the Lakers have. So I, I like our chances against the Lakers. I'm not sure if we can pull it out against the Clippers, but I think, I think you are, your bold prediction of them reaching the NBA finals is, is a real possibility as well. Yeah, I'd say maybe that what so I, with the talent they have, it's probably not the bold prediction, but I'll give one to you. I think this will just be, what I would like to see happen, but I'll say it's going to happen. I'll say Joel Embiid's going to finish top three in MVP voting next year. All right. I like that. All right, Jonathan. Well, just a big thanks for um, coming on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Um, why don't you just tell our listeners where they can follow you, where they can read your work, stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me on, guys. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I write for Busting Brackets, so it's the college basketball site for fan-sided. Um, I, it's definitely a down time right now in college basketball, but there's still tons of articles out there. Um, and Busting Brackets is on Twitter, and you can follow it there and see all the articles that come out. All right, man. Well, we really appreciate you um, coming on, and you're, of course, welcome on any time in the future. Um, and like you said, go follow Busting Brackets. Go read their stuff. They do some great work um, with regard to college basketball. So I definitely suggest that you check them out, check out Jonathan's work. Um, and thanks again, man, for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thank you so much, man. Yep. All right, guys. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Sexual Sense Podcast. Um, as always, you can follow us on Twitter at SixerSense and follow the site where we have some great Sixers content from a lot of great writers coming up daily. Um, and we'll be back soon with another episode. Thanks, guys.